Welcome to this Uvula Audio presentation of The Boy Fortune Hunters in Alaska by Floyd Akers. Volume 4 Chapter 10 The Rocking Stone When I opened my eyes, it was broad daylight, and at first I couldn't remember where I was. Then as I sat up, I saw before me Nux and Bryonia seated calmly side by side with the wilderness all around me and the distant voices of the robbers echoing faintly in my ears. The sun was up, for I could see it glinting through the trees. So as a recollection of my surroundings came back to me, I asked Bry what was going on. He said the men were breaking camp, having slept late, and that presently they were going to travel still further into the interior. I couldn't imagine what they had in view, or where they expected to hide from the vengeance of the men they had plundered. But Bry declared we could follow them without ourselves being seen. So I decided not to give up until we had tracked them to their hiding place, if indeed they had one. Presently we could see them tramping away to the southward, carrying the gold and provisions they had tied up in the blankets. There must have been two or three hundred way to the gold, so the packages were heavy, and they had to take turns carrying them. But men seldom feel overburdened by the weight of gold, so we heard no complaints from the bearers. Bry went on alone, hiding behind rocks and trees, but keeping the men well in sight. After him trailed Nux, keeping Bry in sight. Then, as far away as I dared, I followed Nux, trying to imitate the example of the blacks and to hide myself as well as possible. Before noon I grew hungry, for we had brought no provisions of any sort with us. The robbers paused for lunch and then went on. But although I searched carefully, I could not find a morsel of food that they had cast aside. Of water there was plenty, for we had crossed several streams. But food began to become more precious than gold to me, and I vaguely wondered if I should die of starvation before I got back to camp. At evening the men made camp again, this time in a little clearing strewn with fallen logs. And when Bry rejoined me in a clump of trees where Nux and I halted, I told him frankly that I was faint with hunger, and that unless I could find something to eat, I couldn't go on. I had no doubts that the blacks were hungry too, but they were more inured to hardship and could bear it better than me. But Bry volunteered to try to secure some food, and as soon as darkness had fallen, he crept toward the camp, managing to approach to within five yards of the campfire, around which the robbers sat smoking and talking. He was concealed by a huge log behind which he hid, he listened carefully to the conversation, which he afterwards related to me. So far, Larkin was saying, we couldn't have done better. By this time, I guess we're pretty safe from pursuit. No one can find their way in here in a year, boasted Daggett, lean face grinning with delight. I'm the only man on this island as knows the trails. Are you sure you can lead us to that queer rock you tell of? asked Judson a little uneasily. Sure, and once there we could defy an army, returned Daggett. Then we can make our raft, row out to where the ship is, and sail away home. Larkin gave a rude laugh, ending it with an oath. There'll be some tall cussing in the camp, he said. Major be crazy, assented Daggett. I swept every grain of gold he had while he was laying snoring, chuckled Hayes, a big ruffian who was called Dandy Pete in derision because he was so rough and unkempt. Pity we couldn't have got all there was in camp. There's enough to make us all rich, my boys, anyway, 
remarked Larkin. It nearly broke my back lugging all of it here, and there's only four of us to divide it up. At this, they seemed to grow thoughtful and all sat silently smoking for several minutes. What bothers me, said Judson, breaking the silence, is how we're to get that blasted ship into some civilized port. There ain't a man here who knows anything about sailing. That's all right, said Larkin confidently. The sun rises in the east, don't it? Well, all we gotta do is hoist them sails and let the wind blow us toward the east. Sometime or other, we'll get to the American continent, then we can run down the coast of Frisco. Ain't no trouble to sail a ship. We gotta get away somehow, grumbled Judson, or our goal won't be of no use to us. When are we gonna divide? When we gets to the ship, said Daggett promptly. When we're at sea, we'll be better, added Larkin. They all looked at one another suspiciously. It's got to be a fair divvy, said Dandy Pete with an oath, or else there won't be so many to divide with. What do you mean by that? demanded Larkin angrily. Means I'll stick a knife in your rib if you try any trickery with me, replied Pete, scowling. You made terms with yourself, and you gotta live up to them. It's a quarter each all around. It's wrong, yelled Daggett, springing to his feet. I'm to have a third for guiding you. If it ain't been for me, you couldn't get away with the gold at all. Who promised you a third? Larkin. Well, let Larkin make it up to you out of his own share, then. I'm gonna have a quarter. So am I, said Hayes, fingering his revolver. Larkin glared at them with a white face. We won't quarrel about it, boys, he said after a time. There's plenty for all, and we'll hang together till we're out of danger. I'll take what you think is right for my share. I'll take my third no less, growled Daggett. No one looked at him. Each seemed to be busy with his own thoughts. Bryonia had chosen this special log to hide behind because the robbers had placed their sack of provisions upon it. While listening to the conversation I have recorded, the black had stealthily reached up his hand and managed to extract from the bundle a tin of corned beef and a handful of sea biscuits. Then he wriggled carefully away and in a few minutes had rejoined Nux and me where we hid among the trees. I think no food has ever tasted quite so delicious to me as that tinned beef and stale biscuit. When we divided amongst three, there was little enough in each share, but it sufficed to allay our hunger and give us fresh strength and courage. After we had eaten, Bri decided to go back again for more, since another opportunity to purloin from the bundle of provisions might not be offered us. It was very dark by this time, and Nux and I crept nearer to where a big rock lay, and here, hidden by the deep shadows, we were able to distinguish clearly all that transpired around the campfire. Bri being between us and the light, we could follow his creeping form with our eyes until we saw him lying safely hidden behind the log with the bundle of food just over him. By this time, all the robbers had lain down to sleep except Larkin, who had taken the watch and sat moodily smoking beside the fire on which he tossed now and then a handful of fuel. Suddenly, as he looked toward the sack that rested upon the log, he saw it move. In an instant, a pistol shot rang out, and the robbers sprang to their feet with cries of alarm. Somebody's behind that log, shouted Larkin, who was himself trembling with fear. At once, Bryonia rose to his feet, stepped over the log, 
and calmly advanced into the light of the fire, holding out his hand in greeting and smiling broadly into the angry faces confronting him. Don't shoot poor Bry, he said pleadingly. I's run away to join you. Run away, exclaimed Larkin, while the others looked at the black suspiciously. Why'd you do that? So as I won't have to work any more, answered Bry. Day's just killing me in that camp, lugging bags of sand and washing gold all day. Who came with you? asked Daggett. It nobody at all. I seen you all leave camp, and so I crept along after you. Wouldn't have let you know I was here, sure enough, but I got so hungry. I couldn't stand it no longer, so I tried to steal something to eat. And Master Larkin, he shot the gun at me. How did you know we had quit the camp for good? So you take the gold, sir, and I specs you ain't coming back again, so I thought I'd join you. If you take me long and feed me, Master Hayes, I'll help tote the gold. Bryonia's statement was so simple that the miners were inclined to believe him. Nux and I, who had crawled near to the fire when the pistol shot rang out, could hear distinctly every word, and for a moment I was horrified that Bry should prove false and desert to the enemy. But Nux was chuckling gleefully and whispered, Dot Bry, he mighty clever boy, Master Sam. So I began to comprehend that Bry was acting a part with the idea of saving Nux and me from discovery and ultimately recovering the gold. Therefore I kept silent and listened eagerly. Evidently the miners were not of one opinion concerning the new arrival. Let's kill him, said Daggett. Then we won't run no chances. Don't be a fool, retorted Larkin. He can be useful to us. Bry's the cook of the flipper, I'm told. And besides helping to carry the gold, he can cook our meals when we get to sea and help sail the ship. If he's run away from camp, why, he's just one of us, said Judson yawning and sitting down again. And if it comes down to a fight, he counts for one more on our side. But he don't get any gold, added Dandy Pete. Not an ounce, declared Daggett. Don't want any gold, said Bright composedly. Only want to get away. All right, decided Larkin. You can come along, but you gotta obey orders. And the first time I catch you in any tricks, I'll put a bullet in you. Bry grinned from ear to ear as if he considered this a good joke, and then he warmed his hands over the fire while Judson brought him something to eat from the bundle. Afterwards, all lay down to sleep again except Larkin, who resumed his watch. It was too soon to put any trust in Bry, so the black, having eaten his fill, lay down beside the others. Nux and I cautiously retreated to the rock and consulted as to what we should do under these circumstances. The black man had perfect confidence in his comrade and proposed that we should still follow the band of robbers and wait for Bry to find a way to communicate with us and assist us. This seemed reasonable to me. As we were chilled to the bones in the cold night air, Nux suggested that we go into camp until morning and led me a long distance back into the woods where we finally came to a deep hollow. Here there would be little danger that a fire could be seen by the robbers. So we gathered together some twigs and as I had matches in my pocket, a fire was soon started that proved very grateful to both of us. We then agreed to take turns watching until daylight, and while Nux lay down to sleep, I took the first watch. But in some way, perhaps because the fire was so cozy and agreeable, I gradually lost consciousness, 
And when morning came, both Nux and I awoke with a start to find the fire out and the sun glinting brightly through the trees. We made all haste with the camp of the robbers, but when we arrived at the place, we found it deserted. They could not have been gone for long, though, for the embers of the fire were still aglow. And Nux, who was keen as a bloodhound on a trail, declared he would have no trouble following them. Before we left, however, we made a search for food and to our joy discovered behind the log a can of beans and some more biscuits, which Bry had evidently found an opportunity to hide there for our benefit. We began the chase even while we ate, for Nux picked out the trail with ease and threaded his way between the trees with absolute confidence. It was nearly noon when he halted suddenly. We had come to the edge of the forest. Before us lay a broad tableland, barren of any trees or brush whatever, and beyond this strip of rock the blue sea stretched away to the horizon. "'Why, we've crossed the island!' I exclaimed. "'Only one end of the island,' corrected Nux. "'The bay where our ship lays ain't half a mile away.' It surprised me if the shrewd black man would know this, but I did not question his statement. Just now my attention was drawn to the robbers, who had halted upon the further edge of the tableland, which even from where we stood could be seen to form a high bluff above the ocean. At this place it ran out into a little point, and just beyond that point, but separated from the mainland by a wide gulf, stood an island-like peak of rocks, its flat surface on level with the bluff. It must at one time have formed part of the mainland, but some convulsion of nature had broken it away, and now a deep fissure isolated it from the bluff. Nature was responsible for two other curious freaks. One was a tall group of pines, three in number, which grew on the separate peak, where there seemed scarcely enough soil covering the rock to hold the roots of the trees. Yet on the main bluff there were no trees at all. The other phenomenon was a great rock that must have weighed thousands of tons, which lay upon the edge of the bluff, so nicely balanced that it almost seemed as if a good push would precipitate it into the gulf below. It was triangular in shape, and the base rested on the bluff, while its outer point projected far over the gulf, till it towered almost above the isolated point of the rock I have described. The robbers, when we first saw them, were engaged in earnest consultation. It appeared that Daggett was explaining something about the great rock, for he pointed toward it several times and then at the island. The others leaned over the edge of the gulf, looked into the chasm below, at the triangular rock, at the barren inlet, and then drew back and shook their heads. Then Daggett, whom I had always considered a coward, did what struck me as being a very brave act. He climbed upon the sloping rock and gradually crept upward on his hands and knees. When he reached a point above the center of the huge rock, it began to tremble. Daggett crept a little further along, and now the entire mass of the rock, which was poised to a nicety, raised its vast bulk and tipped slowly outward. Daggett slipped forward. The point of the rock under him touched the islet and came to rest, and then he leapt off and stood safely upon the peak, while the rocking stone, relieved of his weight, slowly returned to its former position. A cheer went up from the men, and they hesitated no longer. Bry crept up the stone next and was tipped gracefully upon the islet. One after another, Hayes, Judson, and Larkin mounted the rocking stone and were deposited upon the rocky point, together with their bundles of gold and provisions. 
We couldn't see very well what became of them after this, for the big rock hit them from our view. But, as it was evident, they could not get back again, at least by the same means they had employed to reach the islet. Nux and I made bold to creep out of our shelter and approach the point that jutted outward into the sea. Then, to our surprise, we saw that the flat top of the rock was deserted. The robbers, together with Bry and the treasure, seemed to have vanished into thin air. Chapter 11 The Cavern From our better position, we could now see the sides of the great rock which reared itself nearly a hundred feet from the shore and stood like some gigantic flat-topped obelisk, keeping guard by the lonely sea. Some ancient convulsion of nature, such as an earthquake or a lightning bolt, had evidently split it from the main precipice of rock which stood near. For the huge crevice that separated it, and which extended entirely down to the beach, almost followed its outlines in every particular. But what had cast up that great rocking stone, and placed it in so finely balanced a position that it could be made a curious but effective bridge to the isolated peak? No one could tell. Another freak of nature, no doubt, for no mortal hands could ever have moved so great a weight of solid rock. And now was solved the problem of the mysterious disappearance of the robbers, for looking over the edge, we saw them creeping slowly down the face of the cliff. A natural ledge varying from one to three feet in breadth led from the top to the bottom, circling entirely around the crag in a sort of corkscrew regularity. It was a dizzy path, most certainly, and I did not wonder to see the men cling fast to the inner side of the rock as they crept down the tortuous ledge. But Daggett, who evidently knew the place well, led them fearlessly, and the others followed, dragging their burdens and the sacks of gold dust as best they could. I certainly expected to see one or more of them tumble headlong at any moment. But no accident happened, and presently, as they descended, the path wound around the opposite side of the rock, and they were lost to view. I wondered if I would see them again, and if it was wise to stick to my exposed post of observation. But while I pondered the matter, Daggett came into view again, having passed around the rock. He was now two-thirds of the way to the sands, and as he followed the ledge on the inner side that lay next to the face of the main cliff, I saw him suddenly pause upon a broader part of the path than the rest, and then disappear into the rock itself, or so it seemed to my gaze from where I watched. One by one the men came after him, and one by one the rock swallowed them up with their burdens. And now passed a period of tedious waiting. Both Nux and I counted the fugitives and saw that they had all safely descended to this point, including Bry. But what had become of them now was a mystery. What shall we do now, Nux? I asked in indecision. There's nothing more to be seen from here. The black, whose eyes held a startled expression, made no reply. But he crept with me to a nearer and better position at the edge of the cliff, beside the rocking stone, and together we peered over into the abyss. Now, indeed, the strange disappearance of the robbers was explained, for from our present point or vantage we could see a black spot far down on the inner face of the column of rock where the ledge passed, and this spot was evidently a cavity into which the men had penetrated. All we can do now is to wait until they come out. It would be foolish to follow them into that place, I said with a sigh of regret. Nux nodded an emphatic approval, and we proceeded to lie down upon our faces, so that our eyes just projected over the edge of the cliff, 
and in this position we watched as patiently as we could for something to happen. It was fully an hour before the men reappeared. A distant sound of voices raised high in angry dispute was the first token that the desperados were quitting the interior of the rock. Then Larkin and Daggett came out and stood upon the ledge, the others crowding behind them on the narrow footing while their guide pointed along the ledge that still continued to lead downward. They were without their burdens now, either of provisions or gold dust, but two axes were carried over Bry's shoulder and another man bore a coil of rope. They seemed to be disputing together about something, and a few of the words reached our ears. Daggett was urging them to follow a plan he had proposed, while some of the others demurred. It's too hot to work, we heard one of the men declare. It ain't too hot to hang, shouted Daggett in reply, and you'll hang every mother's son of you if we don't get to the ship. That seemed to be an effective argument for after a few more words of protest, the men followed Daggett along the edge, Bry coming last of all. The path was broader from there on, and they made rapid progress, soon being again lost to our view around the rock. Just as Bry disappeared, he looked up and saw Nux and me eagerly watching from above. For an instant he paused to wave and grinned at us reassuringly. Then he passed around the edge and vanished after the others. Dot Bry. Don't appear to be much scared, said Nux in an encouraged tone. No, I answered thoughtfully. He's got some plan in his head, I'm sure, to help us. But where have the men gone now? Nux couldn't answer this problem. But after a few moments it resolved itself, for the robbers and Bry appeared upon the sandy shore close to the water and walked briskly along the narrow strip of beach between the lapping waves and the grim precipice of the mainland. It was not long before a bend in the coast hit them completely. Then we sat up and looked at one another inquiringly. "'What do we do now?' asked the black. "'Let's go down the rock,' I suggested, assuming to be braver than I really was. "'They've left the gold behind them, that's for sure, and the gold is what we're after, Nux. Once we've recovered that, it doesn't matter so much what becomes of the thieves.' "'Won't they come back?' inquired Nux hesitatingly. I hope not, I said truthfully, at least not until after we've got the gold back. But there's no time to lose. Come on, follow me. Having thus assumed the leadership, I strove to banish all unmanly fear and boldly sprang on the end of the rocking stone that rested on the mainland. Slowly and with caution, I crept up its incline until I was directly over the gulf. It was now that the stone should tip, but it seemed that my weight being less than that of any of the men who had passed over was not sufficient to unbalance the rock, so it began to look like a risky thing for me to climb further up the tapering point. Well, it's got to be done, I muttered to myself, setting my teeth firmly together, and then summoning what courage I possessed, I lay close to the rock and crawled steadily upward, digging my toes desperately into the irregular hollows of the surface to keep them from sliding into the gulf that yawned below. Higher and higher I climbed, and at last the huge rock trembled and then sank gently beneath me. For a moment I was exultant, but I crept so near to the slippery point of the wedge that I could find no rough projection to grasp with my fingers. Therefore, as soon as my head became lower than my feet, I slid head foremost to the point and tumbled off before the rocking stone had reached a point of rest upon the peak. Fortunately, however, I had been carried over the gulf, 
and although I lay half-stunned upon the very edge of the great precipice, I was not much hurt. In another moment I managed to drag myself to a position of greater safety, while the rocking stone, relieved of my weight, reared its nearest point into the air again, and fell slowly back into its original position. Nux, who had watched breathlessly my adventure and hairbreadth escape, was trembling violently when he in turn mounted the stone, but I called out to reassure him, and his greater weight caused the wedge to tip more quickly, so that he effected the passage to the rocky peak with comparative ease. Once beside me, the faithful fellow began rubbing my limbs briskly to renew their circulation and ease the bruises, and it was not long before I felt sufficiently restored to announce my resolve to continue the adventure. Come on, Nux, I said, scrambling to my feet. We have to get that gold before Daggett and his gang come back. The black was staring at the rocking stone, now removed from our table-like refuge by a good twenty feet. How do we get back again? he asked in perplexity. I, I don't know, I said. That's a question we'll have to face afterwards. The main thing is to get the gold, and it's certain that if we can find no way to escape, the robbers will be as badly off themselves. Nuck shook his head. That won't help us, Master Sam, he said gravely. But already I was engaged in eagerly peering over the edge of the peak to find the ledge by which the men had descended. And in an instant I discovered it. It started with a projection scarcely six inches wide, which lay nearly four feet from the top, and it's small wonder that I looked at it dubiously at first, for if I let myself over and miss my footing, I would be tumbled down the sheer face of the cliff. I go first, decided Nux, who had also glanced over the cliff. There was a crack in the rock near the edge, which afforded him a hold for his hands, and clutching this, the black let his body slide over until his feet touched the projection. Now, Master Sam, you hold on to me and come down, he said. This I quickly did, and found the feet much less difficult than I had feared. Just at the top where my companion's feet rested, there was sufficient incline to enable me to lean against the rock, and a few steps further the ledge widened until the path was quite easy to follow. I went first, followed closely by the black, and although it was not a descent one would have chosen for a pleasure excursion, there was little of danger to be encountered by those with cool heads and determined hearts, such as we strove to maintain. Round and round the great pillar of rock we crept, nearing the foot gradually until we came at last to the side facing the main cliff and found the opening of a large cavern beside us. Filled with eager curiosity, I took a step or two inside and found the cavern to be fully ten feet in height and about fifteen feet in depth. There was no light except that which came through the round entrance, and as this faced the side of the cliff, it was so shadowed it required a few moments for me to accustom my eyes to the gloom so that I could see plainly the interior of the cave. Its floor was strewn deeply with sand, an evidence that when the waves rolled high they rebounded from the face of the cliff and deposited their sand in the cavern. The marks of numerous footprints, however, were all that could be seen in the cave, and it didn't take me more than a moment to guess what had occupied the robbers for so long. They've buried the sacks of gold and the provisions under the sand, I exclaimed. Surely enough, agreed Nux. It'll take us some time to dig for them, for we don't know exactly where to look, I continued reflectively. 
So our best plan will be to go down to the beach and discover what's become of Daggett and his crew and whether they're liable to come back here before night. The black readily agreed to this. So we at once left the cave and continued along the ledge until we reached the sand. The path became quite broad in this part, and our descent was therefore concluded very rapidly. Once on the shore, we walked briskly along until we had turned the bend in the beach, which curved to follow the lines of a little bay. Here we paused, for a long stretch of the beach was now open to our gaze. From this point, the shore widened out, for the precipitous mainland shrank backwards and decreased gradually in height, until a half mile or so further on, it reached the level plain and merged into a deep forest, which grew almost down to the edge of the sea. No human being was in sight, so we naturally concluded that the robbers had entered the forest. Being curious to discover what they were doing, without hesitation we decided to follow them, and their path was easily traced by the footprints in the sand. These led straight to the forest, and although somewhat fearful the enemy would discover our presence, we proceeded to walk boldly around the shore of the little bay until we came to the edge of the trees. A sound of voices mingled with the strokes of axes now guided us, and stealthily creeping along the thick underbrush, we soon discovered the robbers were busily at work. Judson and Dandy Pete were trimming the branches from a fallen tree trunk, while the others were rolling and dragging another big log toward the sea, the glistening waters being perceptible but a few yards away. Evidently the men were intending to build a raft, and after listening for a few minutes to their disjointed conversation, we learned that the raft was designed to convey them and their stolen wealth to the ship. While Daggett, Larkin, and Bry tugged and dragged at the log, Nux and I crept away to the shore, where we found two big logs already lying upon the sands. Also, we could now plainly see, sheltered in another bay, the flipper lying quietly at her anchorage, as Nux had wisely predicted. The schemes of the robbers were now fully explained. Under cover of the forest by day and hidden in their cave by night, they intended to complete the raft, and when it was ready, it would not be difficult to steal away to the ship with the treasure under cover of darkness, hoist the sails, and creep out to sea, bidding defiance to the Major and his comrades, and leaving the miners and the flipper's crew to perish on the lonely island. But the construction of the raft will require time, several days at least, for after getting the logs to the shore, they had to be fastened together by cross strips secured with wooden pegs, since there was not enough rope in their possession to bind the tree trunks together. Once more returning to a part of the underbrush near which the men were employed, Nux and I settled ourselves to listen attentively to their conversation. Presently we heard Daggett say, This right will have the raft ready by Saturday. Saturday night we'll take the ship. It's basically hard work, growled Dandy Pete, brushing with his sleeve the sweat from his brow. Yeah, but it means liberty and riches to every one of us, said Daggett, and that was an argument none cared to deny. Just then I was startled at hearing low voices just beside me, and instinctively I touched the black shoulder, and we crouched lower in the bushes. Nux indeed, with a woodsman's instinct, was quite flat upon the ground, lifeless and invisible, and I strove to imitate him. It's as easy as can be, said the voice, which I recognize as that of Larkin. We'll let the fools work until the raft is finished. Then we'll put our knives in their hearts and have the gold for ourselves. How about Bry? 
asked Judson, hoarsely whispering to his murderous comrade. Ah, he won't interfere any, was the reply. And we need him to help us work the ship. Can the three of us manage the vessel? Of course, with good weather, we'll have to take our chances of a storm. But the fewer there are to divide up, the bigger our fortunes will be. We won't give the black a cent, but we'll go halves on the whole thing. Maybe we could sell the ship, too, for a good sum. All right, I'm with you, declared Judson with an oath. Then the two conspirators crept away and rejoined the others, unconscious that their diabolical plot had been overheard. Chapter 12. We Recover the Gold Thinking over the matter, I decided to return at once to the cave. The thieves would doubtless be occupied in the forest until sundown, and such a chance as this to secure possession of the gold might never occur again. For if Daggett or his men chanced to see our footprints in the sand, or suspected they were being spied on, they would be liable to leave a guard in the cave after that. So we crept softly from the forest and made our way back by the same route we had come, taking care to tread in the trail made by the robbers so our footprints would be less easily distinguished. We did not feel entirely safe from observation until we had regained the column of rock which towered into the air beside the precipitous cliff. But once our feet were on the narrow ledge, both I and my faithful Sulu breathed more easily and with more deliberation accomplished the ascent to the cave. Now we have to work carefully, I said, so that no spot of sand can escape us, for the thieves have taken care to disturb the sand everywhere in order to throw any chance visitor to this hiding place off the track. But we know the gold is buried in this cave, Nux, so it ought not to be a very hard job to find it. Nux nodded with his usual complacency. We begin in back, he suggested, and work front. This seemed sensible, so I followed the black to the far end of the cavern, and falling upon our knees, we immediately began digging with our hands into the soft sand. For nearly an hour we worked steadily, finding nothing at all. Then, as I stopped to rest, I cast a careless glance along the rocky sides of the cave and thought I saw a white mark upon the wall, a few feet toward the front. Springing to my feet, I approached this point and discovered that a small cross had been made with a piece of chalk or a bit of white limestone. Here, Nux, I cried joyfully, and at once began digging in the sand beneath the mark. A few minutes of work proved that my sudden suspicion was correct, for Nux, who had straightway joined me, dragged one of the sacks to light while I discovered just another beneath it. It was part of the stolen gold, sure enough, and my heart beat faster with excitement as I realized that the precious hoard was once more in my possession. Only a part had been hidden in this place, we found, but now we had an unmistakable clue to guide us, so that we had little difficulty in finding a second secret mark that resulted in the discovery of the balance of the treasure, as well as the sacks of provision. When all of this had been unearthed, Nuxt asked, What do we do now, Master Sam? Why, we carried away, of course, I answered, joyous and elated. Where? inquired the black simply. I looked at him in surprise, and then realizing the meaning of the question, grew thoughtful again. You're right, Nux. It's going to be a harder task than I thought. We can't pass by the forest with it, that's for certain. 
for Daggett and his followers would be sure to see us. On the other side, the cliff rises straight out of the sea. There's no way to escape around it. All we can do then is carry the gold to the top of this rock. No, grunted the Sulu. That is no good, Master Sam. Why not? There's no way to get off the top of the rock. Well, that's true, but we can hide there till the thieves go away to the ship. It's not likely they'll climb up there again, for this cave is a better place to sleep in. Nuck seemed unconvinced, and I had none too much confidence in my own assertion. Tonight, said the black in a dismal tone, they hunt for the gold. All gone. They'll be merry mad. They'll look everywhere. Then they find us on the rock. Then they kill us. That's a pretty tough prophecy, Nux. I returned as cheerfully as I could. And it sounds likely enough, I confess. We've got the gold again, to be sure, but the robbers have got us. So I guess we're worse off than we were before. Nux took a lump of bread from a provision sack and began to munch on it leisurely. Noticing the action and remembering that I was also hungry, I proceeded to follow the black's example. While we ate, however, my Sulu was busy thinking, and so was I. As a result, I presently gave my leg a delighted slap and began to laugh. Nux looked at me with a grin of sympathy upon his black features. What's the matter, Masa Sam? Nux, I said, checking my amusement and trying to look grave and impressive. There's an old saying that there's never a lock so strong, but there's a key to fit it. In other words, while there's life, there's hope. Never give up the ship. Every sky has a silver lining. Nux looked puzzled. That's a lovely pair of trousers you're wearing, Nux, I continued in a jocular strain. They're made of the stoutest cloth Uncle Naboth could find in San Francisco, and I gave them to you out of the ship's store only three or four days ago, because your old ones were so ragged. Nux glanced at his wide-legged blue trousers and nodded. Now, old man, you often told me you used to go bare-legged and bare-backed in your own island, so I'm going to ask you to go bare-legged a little while and lend me your trousers. What for, Master Sam? To put the gold grains in, of course. The robbers may look for the sacks of gold when they roam back, but they're pretty sure not to open them. Therefore, my friend, we'll fix it so that they'll think their gold is all safe. How, Master Sam? By filling the sacks with sand and burying them again where we found them. Nux looked at me admiringly and grinned until his mouth stretched from ear to ear and displayed every one of his white teeth. Good, Master Sam, he cried, and at once stripped the trousers from his legs. I now hunted in the pockets of my jacket and brought out several small bits of cord, which I knotted firmly together. Then I tied the legs of Nux's trousers tightly at the bottoms, thus transforming them into a double sack of great capacity. It didn't take us long to transfer the gold dust from the canvas bags to the trouser legs, and as soon as this task was accomplished, we refilled the bags with sand and tied them up as before. I was obliged to tear away a part of my own shirt to get the material to which to tie the upper part of the trousers, for we did not wish to deprive poor Nux of his entire apparel. The suit looked funny enough, dressed only in his shoes and shirt with his black legs between them, and more than once I was obliged to pause and laugh heartily at my comrade's appearance. But Nux didn't seem to mind, and soon the seriousness of our position and the necessity to hasten 
caused me to forget the queer costume of my follower. We abstracted but a slender supply of provisions from the sacks, for we did not wish to arouse suspicion by taking too much. The next task was to bury the sacks of sand and provisions exactly as they had been before, and to smooth over the surface of the sand and trample it down just as we had found it when we first entered the cave. This being accomplished to our complete satisfaction, Nux lifted the heavy gold over his shoulder, one leg hanging behind his back and one in front, and started to mount the narrow ledge of rock with his burden, while I followed close behind to render any assistance I could. The Sulu was a wonderfully strong man, but his task was a difficult one, although I tried to relieve him in the worst places by lifting a part of the heavy load. Our progress was slow, for poor Nux had to stop frequently to put down his load and rest, for it was while we were on the outer surface of the rock which faced the sea that we were suddenly startled by hearing sounds that assured us that the robbers were returning from the forest. Much time had been consumed in the cave, searching for the treasure and securing it, and now I began to fear we had delayed too long. As soon as they mounted the ledge and began to wind around the tower of rock, they would be sure to catch sight of our forms, and then our fates would be sealed. Nox, I whispered. Pick up the gold and be ready to start. As soon as the thieves get back to the ledge, we have to keep on, and keep the rock always between us and them, or we shall be lost. Nux nodded and obeyed without a word. It was often hard to tell by the sound of their voices just how far up the ledge the men had progressed. But fortune favored us, and only once did we lag behind enough for the first of the robber band to espy us. But that first person, by good luck, proved to be Bryonia, and the clever black at once pretended to stumble and fall, and so held the men that followed him in check until Nux and I had escaped around the crag. Soon after this the robbers reached the cave, which they entered, thus enabling us to reach the top of the crag at our leisure. Nux was nearly spent when at last he threw the laden trousers upon the flat top and tried to draw his tired body after them but I gave him a hearty boost from behind and then scrambled to the top unaided, nerved by the excitement of the moment. For several minutes neither of us spoke. The black man lay panting for breath, with perspiration streaming from every pore in his body, and I, filled with gratitude at our escape and the successful accomplishment of our plan, sat beside my faithful friend and fanned him with my straw hat. The sun was sinking fast by this time, and the shadows of three tall pine trees that grew upon this isolated peak fell upon the spot where we rested and cooled our sun-parched bodies. Although at times a rough laugh or a shouted curse reached our ears from the cavern below, there was no indication that Daggett or his band had yet made the discovery that the place had been visited in their absence, and the treasure for which they had risked so much abstracted from its sandy grave. When twilight fell, I arose, and with some difficulty, rolled the trousers to a place near the center of the rock where there was a small natural hollow. And then Nux and I sat beside it and ate again sparingly of the food we had brought. It was while we were thus occupied that an incident occurred that filled us with sudden panic. For before our faces, a man's head appeared above the edge of the rock and two dark eyes glared fixedly into our own. At the moment I almost screamed with fright, so unnerved had my recent adventures rendered me, but Nux laid his broad hand across my mouth 
and arrested an outcry. It's Bry, he whispered. And even as he spoke, the newcomer drew himself over the edge and crept on all fours to our side. I had no trouble in recognizing the friendly features then. Oh, Bry, I said softly, so as not to be heard by the robbers below, and clasped the black hands fervently in my own. Bry squatted beside me, his kindly face wreathed in smiles. They send me up here to see if anyone round, he whispered. In a minute I go back and say no. Can't you stay with us, Bry? I asked pleadingly. Not yet, Master Sam. They very bad men's down there. They kill you quick if they find you. But we've got the gold, Bry. I know. I see you in the wood. I follow your footprints all the way home. I see you hanging up rock. Then I see the sand been digged up. So I knew you got gold. Did they suspect us at all, Bry? No, Master Sam. They too busy trying to kill each other. All want to have gold for himself. So all try to kill everyone else. Very bad men, Master Sam. They're going to take you on the ship and make you sail it, I said. Bry laughed silently. I stay with them now so they not find you. But when right time come, I steal away and come back to you. Did you fill sack with sand, Master Sam? Glancing inquiringly at the stuffed trousers. Yes. That good, said Bry approvingly. They dig up one when they come back to see if all's safe. Then they hide it again. Very good way to fool bad men. But we can't leave here until they go away, I remarked. No, must be careful. Tomorrow they finish raft. Tomorrow night they go to ship. You stay here, hide till then. After the bad man's go, I come back to you. And we go to camp again. All right, Bry, I said as cheerfully as possible. Then the black bade us goodbye and returned to the cave to report to Daggett that no one had been seen anywhere about. And now Nux and I, wearied by the adventures of the day, but buoyed by the hope that we might finally escape with the recovered gold, lay down upon the rocky eminence and bathed by the moon's silver rays, slept peacefully until morning.